0: I'm Cutter Calloway, and today we're Breaking the Marriage Idol with Joshua Beckett and Tamara
1: Califf.
0: Joshua and Tamara are doctoral students at Fuller, who have both been integral partners not only in authoring the book, but also in creating its supplemental resources. of you are uh, integral people when it comes to this project, um, both in helping sort of shepherd it, but then also, yeah, high five, uh, podcast high five. Um, Not only shepherding it, but conceiving of it in some ways, um, and then thinking through uh, what it means to have other people kind of walk through this conversation together, hopefully in groups. um, And so that's why I want you both to, uh, bear your souls with me, (laughs) uh, to whatever degree you feel comfortable, of course. Um, but really just, uh, I'm, I'm curious. Um, I'm not actually sure if I've asked either of you directly, but, but maybe I have, uh, what, when I first said, here's this idea or this thought, um, and sometimes it was half baked, sometimes it was a little more baked, but still mushy in the middle. What was that initial thing that made you go, yeah, I I want to be a part of that, and I want to invest some time and energy in in having other people engage too. So maybe Tamara, you want to start and sure, and let us know what you think.
1: Well, to start, you and I were uh, aligned to do an independent study together, and in you had sent me an early version of the an early draft of the book, and I found it so engaging as a woman who has crossed the forty barrier, ah. who is still single. Uh, the book resonated res, resonated with me uh, more deeply than I imagined it would. Hmm. And I was curious to kind of dig in and um, see what I could contribute in the way of study questions and whatnot.
2: Yeah, wonderful. What about you? I was trying to remember. I think I was parked uh, just right outside here. And I was on my way home. And you're like, hey, 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 uh, I've got this thing and I want to do it. And would you be part of you know, the conversations about marriage and singleness. And I was like, sure. I mean, can I get back in two weeks i run out <laughs> of town? But,
0: no, you have to answer me now. No, so, uh, yes life, yes, to me. Yes.
2: no, but um, I think what, what I found immediately compelling is that uh, even in that conversation and then in the, in the first larger lunch conversation with, with Day and Marsha and Debbie and Colton and all the, the rest – there was a, a sense of these are some of the ideas that I've had for a long time, the, the frustrations that I've had for a long time, mm-hmm. and to be able to to give a focused, pointed, kind of direction mm-hmm. uh, to get some of these ideas out there. Um, I mean, I, I was sold just on mm-hmm. that, mm-hmm. and then you know the opportunity to to do some you know, further reflection and writing uh, was just kind of sweetened the deal. So.
0: Yeah, writing. Those of us who are writers, writing is sort of self-expression and uh, uh, in my sense, or in my case, therapy sometimes. Like I, <laughs> I get an idea and I almost, I just have to write it even if it's never going to see the light of day because it, it helps me sort of process through stuff. And it was really fascinating for me anyway to do it with a group of people. It's one of the first yeah. writing projects that I had that kind of I've co-authored and stuff, but to have like a dynamic group was uh, really, really interesting. And to me, what was interesting, too, is that everyone sensed in similar ways to you, although they were coming at it from different angles, this this kind of core thread that we all were encountering and struggling with, uh, no matter who we were or how we identified, right? Whether we were married or uh, crossing Mm -hmm. the barrier of 40, (laughs) not married, Uh, male, female, uh, straight, gay, you know, uh, post-married, what are all the different uh, ways Mm -hmm. we could think about it? it? It... it was really interesting that we all seemed to encounter
2: this um, this narrative. Uh, that there, there's a similar, there's a resonance of the angst that, that yeah. we share. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's
0: really good. I, I like putting that way. The, the, it, or in your chapter, the uh, um, the ache, right? Yeah. There was this acknowledgement of of an ache that we all had, and it's rooted, I think, or at least as I was talking out loud, in this common narrative that that was taken up within sort of the evangelical subculture, and um, at least that's how I framed it. So. Do you too, as you think about that narrative um, that generated that sort of angst, how would you how would you describe it? So, so Tamara, how would you describe? And it could be like growing up. It could be more recently. Um, if you're going to say this is what the messaging and the narratives were of my faith community when it comes to marriage and singleness, um, what what would that look like? What was that narrative that was
1: given to you? You know, I feel like my own was similar to what it was within culture, hmm. uh, which is why you kind of starting off and leading with the cultural aspect of it, I feel as though it was as strong within my church community. And honestly, I will also say I feel the majority of pressure I felt um, as a single woman has actually come from my family, more than even church community, um, extreme pressure. And um, in terms of the church culture, though, it's there's definitely a feeling of not quite being a grown-up. Um, the fact that I'm not married with children. And so I just feel this perpetual sense of, uh, lack of maturity and lack of adulthood and lack of being able to maybe, uh, contribute significantly. Um, and that's not across the board. There's certainly some amazing mentors within my church that, that saw great capacity. Um, but actually the, the hardest trouble I found is even not as a single woman. It's just as a woman period. Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah. Which is so interesting that each, you know, even though we all run up against uh, this similar thing, right? The angst, the, um, is that what you said? It was angst? I I I said angst. I wrote ache. Ache, ache, resident, yeah, resident angst or ache, ache, that we all, of course, encounter it quite differently or the consequences of that impact us all radically differently. Um, Especially in your case, being a woman um, is one of the uh, situations in which, um, this norm, um, I don't want to say violates you differently, but, but does in some ways, it does a violence to you that it doesn't do to me. Um, and, and I would think, especially in, as you're talking about your family, that that's especially difficult because it's like, these are my kin, right? These are my closest folks. How, how is that a part of it? So is your family, uh, is it a family of faith? Did you grow up uh, yes, as Christians? I did,
1: but it's, it's the, uh, cultural, Part of the yeah. family, it's my dad's side that huh. has been, uh, my grandmother blames my parents ah. and uh, actively blames my mother and feels that they should have taken me to the old country. They're from Palestine oh, wow. and um, found me a suitor. Ah. And she just does not see any excuse for me to have gotten to this age and to ah. have remained single.
2: So it's
0: coming at you from all sides then, yeah. <laughs> sides <laughs> of immediate family, family, community and <laughs> faith, broader culture, um, historic things. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a, a, a difficult I think, <laughs> and I, thing to bear.
1: I, I don't think I realized how much uh, sort of shame hmm. and um, a sense of embarrassment almost hmm. I have been shouldering until I read your book. And it hmm. just felt like it was gently prodding certain hmm. points in my life that it was like, oh, yeah, no, that's actually something I've kind of swept under the rug and not wanted to deal with. Hmm.
0: Well, hopefully it was not, <laughs> good not sense. pouring more shame onto you, <laughs> no. but but yeah. <laughs> illuminating off. shame. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> shake, shake it off. off. It's Taylor I think Swift. A good
1: song about Taylor
0: um, Yeah, actually, uh, Joshua's the person that said you should talk about Taylor Swift. I think, or at least pop music. I, um, I was like, yeah, pop
2: music is probably more formational, yeah, more yeah. formative uh, for most of us on a daily basis than.
0: Oh yeah, TV especially movies. around these issues of yeah. romance and coupling and everything else. Um, so, similar question for you, Joshua. Like what? What, how would you describe those narratives? And and then uniquely, as Tamara's saying, from her perspective as a woman of, of it sounds yes, like, of a a,
1: a, a Jewish <laughs> descent?
0: Know. Is that where I'm getting? No, or, uh,
1: Palestinian Palestinian yeah. descent.
0: Um, so then you obviously come at this from another very unique perspective. Yeah. How How is it uniquely, again, I don't want to be, uh, uh, you know— um, over the top, say violence, but but how is it that that narrative uniquely impacted you? Yeah,
2: it's okay. I'm okay if you use the word <laughs> use violence, and I don't have to. Yeah, so. yeah, okay. Uh, <laughs> no, I mean, I I think even at, as I was listening to Tamara, I was like, wow, there. A footnote: This is something I need to attend to as well. Um, I think for me, in some ways, I was lucky, um, at least in in my church community, in my youth group, because my youth pastor. Uh, was just he was one of the gems, you know that that really valued discipleship and um, and, and community and and uh, growing us um, in our faith uh, more than kind of what he saw as the the silliness of some of the purity culture stuff. and so I mean, he actually, ran into trouble with parents because Uh, he would tell them my job is not to keep your kids from having sex. My job (laughs) is to help your kid fall in love with Jesus. And so, so so I I think he, in a lot of ways, shielded me from, Mm -hmm. from some of that. I mean, I grew up in, uh, in East Tennessee, which uh, is, you know, a bedrock, Mm uh, a red bedrock (laughs) of, of, uh, cultural evangelicalism. And, and I didn't realize how much even though my, my own church experience was much more positive, uh, at least when it comes to some of these narratives. Um, yeah, just how much, I guess, broad, more broadly speaking, there, there was that violence, uh, for me, um, there, the other kind of inner intersecting, interlocking, uh, piece, uh, has to do with being gay. And, you know, that was, uh, again, in a pretty conservative place. Like it, it took me a while to even acknowledge and admit that to myself, like, no, this isn't, these feelings don't seem to be something I'm growing out of. I, I, at some point you're just like, Oh, maybe I'm not ever going to have any of these feelings for, for a woman. And, and what does this look like? And, and I think in terms of damaging narratives, I mean, there's the, there's another layer. I didn't quite get into this in, in my chapter, but you know, there's the the broader narrative about, you know, marriage is the highest point mm-hmm. of creation, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. sex is the high point of marriage. Mm-hmm. And so, if you're not having that, somehow you're incomplete. I mean, mm-hmm. that I, I received in enough ways, uh, both from church and culture. But then, particularly within more conservative circles, when it comes to to sexuality, there's the there's the sense that uh, your parents screwed you up. Um, and, huh. you know, it's if, you know, you didn't have such mm. an absent father or such an overbearing mother, mm. uh, then you would have be, been the confident straight man that God <laughs> always intended you to yeah. be. And, and I, I think I, hmm. I internalize those. And, and especially uh, in a post-Wild at Heart world where yeah. Yeah. it's like the father wound, find the father wound. Um, a, a good friend of mine said, He's like, I just I'm waiting for all the Christian dads to collectively murder John Eldridge. <laughs> <laughs> because until we read that book, we didn't know what we were missing. Oh, uh, man. And 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 I think and because I, I look back at, at my my growing up years and um and, and my parents did make mistakes, mm-hmm. you know. And I think because they were parents, as they're as humans, you know? you know? And and I think it took me a long time before I stopped blaming them. Hmm. Uh, and for a while they when i first came out to them they both you know, were so upset my mom cried and they both were like you know what did we do wrong what did we do and felt like felt so guilty that they had you know made me gay if they had been better parents i wouldn't have been and and i think and for a while i was quite willing to let them have that guilt. Mm-hmm. i was like yeah yeah you d- mm-hmm. you deserve to feel you know ashamed and you know through counseling just realizing oh yeah the 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 etiology of uh-huh. sexual orientation is so much more complex and, you know, beginning to have grace for my parents for the ways that, you know, they did their best uh, without excusing uh, mistakes as if they didn't matter, but but not not blaming my parents anymore. And I think that has, uh, has contributed, I think, to a much more healthy relationship with my parents, um, you know, into my late 20s and 30s. Yeah.
0: To hear your stories is a reminder of... A kind of psychological, um, just existential uh, burden um, that so many people walk around with. Um, that if we pretend like everyone just looks exactly like me, a married right. guy, right. Um, that we just—it's it, not only are we blind
2: to it, but we we literally excise it. We we remove it from our presence. I think, I think it it, it definitely comes down to the level of assumptions. Um, and I mean, I I definitely um, I think both in evangelical purity culture as well as broader culture i mean there are there are unique burdens to being a woman you know that um yeah that are that i find appalling and that you know i can only kind of try to empathetically imagine you know what it'd be like without having experienced that um i think when it comes to being gay and single um you know there's i I find that there are very few people that i actually like truly feel comfortable with, Mm -hmm. Um, because, I mean, I'm, you know, as I wrote in the book, I mean, I still hold a fairly uh, traditional uh, hermeneutic about uh, sexual uh, relationships, and you know, so I'm living a celibate life, Um, but a lot of the people, I find that a lot of the people that, you know, theologically I disagree with, I, I, I just find personally so unpalatable, Uh, (laughs) and, and I, I find that when you are talking about, you know, cultural violence, uh, the, the really strident, uh, kind of council for biblical manhood and womanhood, Mm -hmm. which is going after you Mm -hmm. as well. Uh, I, I mean, these are, these aren't microaggressions. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, when I look through the the Nashville statement, I mean, it's, it's so deeply, it's so deeply Uh damaging. And I mean, I really, even though, even though I'm not doing anything that they would disapprove of, mm-hmm. I still feel like I'm—I'm, I'm, my personhood, mm-hmm. is is being attacked, mm-hmm. and, I mean, it really really reminds me of the, of the quote from Jesus about, um, you know, adding burdens mm-hmm. and not lifting a finger mm-hmm. to help. Um, so there's that, and then I mean, with a so often I I do feel more. At home, uh, in more you know progressive LGBTQ affirming places, but but even there, I mean, a lot of people, uh, you know, that the, they say like, "Yo, I I don't necessarily understand your your reasons, but I respect you." But I mean, I think a lot of a lot of them, I feel like, are, are just kind of waiting for me to change and like, okay, now we like <laughs> eventually what, yeah. now yeah. we can be the ally that we've yeah. always wanted to be for you and. Um, and then I think even for the you know the people that navigate in between those uh, when it comes to singleness um, that there's there's often an assumption that um, you know you just you don't know what it's like to you know have a spouse and have that kind of commitment and you don't know what it's like to, to raise kids and so therefore you're you're inherently less mature mm-hmm. you're inherently um, not pushed to your capacity uh to show uh, covenantal love um and there's just certain things you you can't understand and and I find that those kinds of um you know invalidations they yeah. happen all the time and that there's very few people um that see me in all the complexity mm-hmm. of who I am and respect me and want to enter into mutually mm-hmm. interdependent love mm-hmm. and friendship which
0: is tough. Yeah. So it, it brings up another interesting question. You both kind of said the, uh, the comment about uh, not, uh, not being affirmed in sort of the fullness of, of who you are and your maturity or, or mm-hmm. even just your ability to be mature right now, right? Mm-hmm. Or your capacity to, which really kind of strikes the heart of, of your vocation, who you sense yourself to be and who mm-hmm. God's called you to be, named you to be. Um, obviously anyone sort of living into the vocation needs to, we need to be able to say, yeah, we fully affirm who you are in this and, and you
2: can you know, do and that. And we trust the Holy Spirit yeah, exactly. that has, has ways, has creative ways to bring about, you know, conformity to the character of Christ that, yeah. that you don't have to have another human being. Yeah. In your bed, yeah. in order so for you to was, become Christ-like. Yeah. I mean, I, I, there's a, there's a, or even just Jesus-like, yeah, exactly. since He didn't have know, a, you know. Like, but yeah, there's a, yeah, yeah. The, the, there's, <laughs> there's Jesus problems for sure. But there's definitely, I think, a, yeah. a pneumatological deficiency that that we have such a narrow yeah. lens of of how maturity, yeah. of how covenant, mm-hmm. um, and of how. Deep friendship yeah. and love. can
0: For all you uh, non-theologians, pneumatological deficiency uh, means a, an inadequate notion of the Holy Spirit uh, working in our lives, which is a great point in terms of um, how the Spirit breathes life into us. Uh, you know, it energizes our callings, um, etc. And Tamara, we've had interesting conversations about kind of how you conceive of your life's mission, your calling to the kingdom. Um, and, um, even some open, uh, this is a leading question. So some of the, some of the like open, like, well, I'd really like to do this with this person, but that would be weird and nobody would approve of it. Why can't I do that? Um, I wonder if you could say a little bit about how you understand your calling right now and how these sort of uh, messages of inadequacy or whatever, either get in the way, um, or, or are a hurdle for you to be able to, to
1: live into that. Yeah. I just, I, I think what you're alluding to is just, um, wanting to regardless be able to find a partner to do missions like God's work within the world. And if that can't be in a spouse, which Mm -hmm. I'm still open to God bringing one, if I feel called to Mm -hmm. that. Um, You're such an idolater. (laughs) I know. (laughs) I read your book. Mm -hmm. Um, But even, you know, there's uh, one of my best friends that I met through seminary here Mm -hmm. who had authored one of the vignettes. Um, We, uh, the, focus of our mission is different within the world but if it was aligned if we felt like we had giftings that complemented each other being able to teach and work together you know without the world then assuming um you know assuming a yeah. same sex relationship yeah. out of that and it's just yeah. you know i i feel like i'm because i am a single woman i almost i wouldn't be able to step into that capacity fully because I feel like, again, the world would read it differently. Mm -hmm. Or even if I was doing that with a single man, again, I feel like people would read that Mm -hmm. differently. And so just, you know, but also feeling like I am a whole person um, with the giftings that I have as I am. And I don't need to have something, have a person complete me.
0: It is fascinating to me that that we don't, uh, at least currently, and by we, sort of this... American evangelical Christianity. So you know this is a generalization a bit, um, but that we would deny um, certain arrangements or organizations uh, of life that sort of fundamental, sort of Holy Spirit-inspired um, mission. That why couldn't two uh, grown, adult, mature, wise women partner together in a way that? And this is uh, I'm just indebted to Wesley Hill a lot in terms of his his writing. Of, of this spiritual friendship, where it's more than we're roommates. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a commitment there that, oh, if you get a job on the East Coast, well, we need to together kind of think through, we may, should move together, right? It's not, it's not simply like, oh, we'll see you later. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and why it is that if the community of faith, in fact, is this family, this faith community, why we don't um, go all in on affirming and celebrating that and um, finding ways to to even publicly sort of declare we bless what you're doing, you know, go forth and <laughs> you know uh, prosper. Uh, Joshua, do you, do, you, do you have a sense of, of why that is? Is um, Is there is it just all back to this distorted notion of what marriage is or, or we think it's supposed to be? Or um, are there other factors in
2: play, do you think? I mean, I definitely think that's uh, one of the core constitutive pieces. Um, I also think, and, and this is related to that, Um, that both in the broader culture and in church cultures, that there's an unwillingness to, I think, recognize um, the limits of the human condition. Mm -hmm. Um, And so um, I'll get to your, this is Mm -hmm. is kind of my like meandering way to get there. But it strikes me that many of the uh, explicit promises that, uh, that people in churches are are given um, that a spouse will complete you that it's a reward for obedience uh, that um, initially self-denial will um, will lead into you know uh, ecstatic uh,
1: <laughs> you know
2: sexual erotic gratification um, is is in some ways like a and an unwillingness to recognize that even, even for the people who know Jesus, even for the people who are filled with the Holy Spirit, like we're still going to have lonely days. And that mm-hmm. like being human is hard. Mm-hmm. And, and, and there are sadnesses that, that no one else will understand. Mm, um, some
1: people in marriages that are more lonely <laughs> than single people. Well, for
2: sure. Uh, although it's, you know, toward mm-hmm. that end, I mean, I, I, I've had, I can't tell you How many, I mean, at least I could count on two hands, you know, the number of of men who have like, oh, you're not married. You're so lucky. you got all the time to to read and stuff. I'm like, you know To read.
1: Okay. First of all,
2: I I think your view of marriage is is very deficient. Mm -hmm. Uh, But yeah, you have your call and I have Mm -hmm. mine and like, don't compare. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, there are are days when I'm just like, I don't read because I I feel too lonely to get out of bed and like just because that's not your, your experience. Um, but anyway, uh, I I think, so I think that piece, the unwillingness to, uh, to face human limits, um, the marriage idol for sure. Um, but I think it's not just a church thing. It's also a cultural thing, Mm -hmm. um, that, that seeks to reduce deep expressions of love and commitment. Uh, the suspicion that there must be an erotic, uh, substratum mm-hmm. like there, there has to be a sexual component in order for, for us to like really give of yeah. ourselves yeah. Um, which I think limits our ability to to have the, those kind of, of deep uh, meaningful partnerships for the kingdom yeah. uh, or you know either you know, with one other unmarried person or uh, as I've experienced a, a couple different places uh, with a family
1: mm-hmm.
2: uh, where where I'm I, I'm deeply adopted into that family and I adopt them. And that there's a there's a, a mutuality of our commitment to each other, that um, that is unique. Yeah. yeah, And talk about the sort of cultural pressure. <laughs> um, that the, the
0: interesting thing, at least um, that I found in talking to people about the book and even in authoring it, is that really fascinating thing of this kind of notion distorts all sorts of things. It it makes singleness or a, a life of singleness really difficult. It also distorts, like the friends you're talking about,
1: mm-hmm. notions
0: of marriage, mm-hmm. you know, and what the, the goods that marriage offers and how you understand it. Um, and probably even, in, <laughs> I used to, I used to say this book is not marriage counseling, but the more I think about it, I'm like, maybe it is. Maybe us naming some things that would be very a very productive thing, but maybe so not. It's
1: a recalibration. Um, for, a recalibration. For, for society on both roles.
0: Yeah, and then especially both of those then sort of, produce or reveal these sort of distorted notions of sexuality, both within the church and yeah. then in broader society. Right. Right. And sort of my, you know, earlier Tim, brought up like we started with culture. <laughs> so that was good. Um, and I, you know, I, I'm not easy on anybody. I, I actually do theology and culture. So I think I told Joshua this, most of my work is involved in telling people like culture's not bad, right? It's, it's good. It, I know. And you know, I'm an ethicist. Yeah, you're the, like, yeah. No, there are structures <laughs> of injustice. Yeah, yeah. It's terrible. And Cutter, what are you thinking? Don't be so celebratory. Well, this is my first book where I yeah. basically just say, this all kind of is bad. Like there, is there's why a... I think I liked it so <laughs> yeah, much. Yeah, it's the, only <laughs> thing, uh, it's the only thing I've ever written that Joshua actually approves of. <laughs> um, but one of those things is the Disney princess paradigm, and it happens. Are we allowed to put on the record your employer, who you work for? Yes. Okay.
1: I, I, I work for the Walt Disney Company. However, I am not here as a spokesperson That's exactly, exactly. of, of uh, the company. All opinions are. Excuse me. All opinions are your yes. own. Yes. Yes. Um, disclaimer. But I, I
0: bring that up only because um, you know I kind of give a re- read of the princess culture. Yeah. I think of which most people that work either at Disney or are big fans of it agree about with the first sort of iteration of princesses, mm-hmm. and then you get sort of this revitalization during my uh, youth and young adulthood, which was wonderful um, back in the '90s, and then now we have kind of the new generation of Disney stories really but then specifically of what the princesses are and i even i was re-watching moana the other day with my girls and she explicitly denies princesshood like in the script she's like i'm not a princess i'm a,
1: that was a the
0: daughter yeah so yeah. so there's this active kind of rethinking reimagining recalibrating maybe of what it even means to be a princess or maybe just destroying princesshood in general i don't so it'd be interesting to hear you talk about one, what makes you uh, hopeful about what Disney is doing as, as one of those, I mean, I've heard statistics that 65% of the American population saw Finding Nemo. Wow. So, and, and I haven't heard recent stats on some of the other Disney animation, but these are yeah, stories the reaches, that everybody, I mean, yeah, It's everyone's.
1: inculcated so deeply within our culture, the Disney brand. It's 90, uh, you know, close to a hundred years old. Yeah. So we're just like six years away from a hundred years Um, again, as somebody that's just an insider and observant of the brand and not speaking on behalf of the brand. um, One of the things I've been with the company for 23 years Mm. and watching that progression of um, as somebody who consumed, you know, Mm -hmm, was a mm -hmm. media consumer as a child growing up, locating the desires and wants of these Mm. women, female characters and watching that change over the years. And one of the things that's interesting to me is I look back at our body of uh, and I'm just speaking Disney animation yeah, films yeah. Um, over the last 10 years, um, only two of maybe the last 10 films since mm-hmm. 2007 really speak to uh, a desire for romance. Um, that would be a uh, princess and the frog. Mm-hmm. I felt like that was a, a clear drive within the story. Tangled. I feel mm-hmm. like would be, but the rest of them bolt onwards. It's um, they're exploring other types of friendship, other types of, of, communitas, community, which is what I feel like I got out of your book was the most Mm -hmm. significant Mm -hmm. factor Mm -hmm. that I want to breathe life into the importance of community. And it was looking at friendships, which is what Moana, it was not Mm -hmm. a romantic relationship. Mm -hmm. Looking at familial bonds, which is what my read for Frozen Frozen, um, was, was, you know, the bond between sisterhood and um, Big Hero 6, certainly Mm -hmm. about the friends. Mm -hmm. And that that was a broader community. Mm And it's just on and on, and, and I think that's it, it. Gives me a tremendous amount of hope. I know the filmmakers are conscious of this when they're writing, um, writing the films, and just exploring different ways of, of how that can be possible. I
0: think I just saw the previews for the next Wreck It Ralph, which is like right, he breaks this, the internet or something. Yes, um, that
1: comes out this November, and Frozen Two comes out next fall.
0: Next fall. And it was funny because the the girl, I can't remember her name. Vanellope.
1: Vanellope. Penelope? Oh, Vanellope. Vanellope.
0: Um, She lands into like the princess hall, the hall of princesses. And they're all like, oh, oh, are you a princess? And she's like, no, I'm not a princess. Do you know that dialogue there? That is the funniest part of the film. They
1: need to take that like 10 minute, I had told the filmmakers, I'm like that, people will go see the film just for this time. Oh yeah. Yeah. They land, she lands into Oh My Disney, uh, uh, amongst all of the princesses. And again, very tongue in cheek. Um, I'm trying to think how much I could tell without yeah. giving anything away.
0: Yeah. Well, There's, I've seen the I've seen the preview, so yes. that's public. Yeah, um, that But they they ask her, they basically run her through like, are you princess? Well, no. And they're like, well, what about this? And so one of them is, <laughs> are you? Do you need a big man to come and solve your problem? She's like, well, yeah. And they're like, then you're a princess, and she, you know, because so, Wreck-It Ralph is her her guy, right? Um, so it's it's a pretty funny thing. Yeah. Um, so these are, I mean, what's fascinating to me is these are in the water, um, and as a church community we've sort of drunk from the well or yeah. drunk the Kool-Aid or whatever. Um, and so it's really hard, I think, sometimes for us to unpack. And, and this makes sense in, in every sense. Like I, I often say in terms of culture, like the church and culture aren't these separate things. No. We all inhabit the same culture, but we, Christians or any religious community, make culture odd, right? So we take um, bread and wine, for example, and we do something odd with it. It's not that bread and wine themselves are, but we, oh, so, um, and I steal that from a, a woman by the name of Catherine Tanner, who's great if, if anyone's interested. Um, but it's, it's still this, uh, process where we have to negotiate, okay, what are the, the scripts that are handed to us that we can embrace and we can run with? Uh, what are the ones that we want to say mm, close, but not quite. And then what are the others that we just go, yeah, that's just bad. <laughs> you know, boom, I, we don't want to deal with it. Um, I think
1: part of the yeah. problem is Christians are not comfortable with culture. They feel that it's no. somehow something that needs to be kept uh, separate from from um, church and spirituality. No. And rather than see it as an integrated part of no. who we are and something that informs our faith.
0: Or even have the tools to interpret it well. So like yes. what you're offering here is is a, a, an interpretation okay. that is thoughtful, that's taking account of other stories, not just princess stories, but the other narratives Disney's putting out. Um, but then also couching that in light of, well, here's the actual history that we've come from. Yeah. Um, Joshua, I wonder if, I mean, you could talk about Disney if you wanted, uh, <laughs> but are there other, <laughs> like, <awesome>. you know, <laughs> you know
2: uh, <laughs> <laughs> is it,
0: you know, you mentioned uh, the Taylor Swift music or pop music in general. Um, I go to Bachelor and Bachelorette because I find that. Did you know, by the way, hmm. it is the longest running reality TV show now, and oh, it no. is Gaining audience oh, year God. over year over year, so Survivor, these others kind of uh, have their run and they deplete, but it continue and it's it's amazing. So there's something about these yeah. scripts that are connected that capture our imagination. Um, what are the ones that you think, as, as you you're the ethicist, right? So now you can you know bring your critical faculties Ready to bear. To um, <laughs> what what are the ones you think that we are most sort of imbibing that we need to step back and go, ooh, that that is too easily conflated with what we're calling Christian um, or even just healthy relationships. Um, what, how would you describe those,
2: those scripts? Well, and I, maybe i maybe want to take a step back sure. and, and say that I, I think I totally agree with, with Tamara, but I think that that's only half the story uh, the, the church kind of, she's an insider. So <laughs> she, yeah. Oh no, I, 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 I concede that you're Disney knowledge. <laughs> uh, no, no. Yeah, but in terms of, you know the church kind of holding culture ah, at, yeah, at, yeah. at arm's length because I think that that strand is 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 deeply rooted, but then it, it also exists very uncomfortably and conflictually with the desire to kind of take culture and and reproduce it mm-hmm. uh, in in a distinctly Christian way, oh, yeah. but which is it's different, which is not the same that. thing no. as. You're right. As make as making culture but odd,
1: I feel like that's still outside of culture. Like they're so uncomfortable with culture that we need to go make our own media.
2: No, I think that's true. But I also I also wonder how much of it there's an inferiority complex of like mm. we're, we're missing out wow. on you know on American Idol. So we'll have oh. you know gospel icon. You know, <laughs> like wait, does that exist? Something like that. I don't oh, know if wow. it's that exact wow. thing. But, I know. but
1: it's like it's going to start now. Mm-hmm. But, but
2: yeah, that there's this there's this kind of, and so rather than kind of subverting cultural scripts, and redeeming them, which mm-hmm. is, I think, what we use bread and wine differently. Yeah. Um, it, it reacts, and then it becomes derivative. Mm-hmm. Um, which, again, yeah, totally coexists with with being afraid and, and backing off. But there's this weird, you know, in, inferiority thing of, like, in some ways, I think we don't believe the gospel enough mm-hmm. that we still feel that inferior to, yeah. you know, our, our friends and neighbors yeah. who are not Christians. And it's like, no, no, we've got this... This amazing message, mm-hmm. and this invitation to to reimagine all of life, mm-hmm. and and to uh, to love more deeply than than we've ever you know been challenged to do before. Um, so I think I, that I think I, I see as some of the the bigger issues, and so I I, I see that kind of um, either inferiority or derivative, re- reductive impulse as partly behind. Um, this uh, what, what in your parlance is, has become the marriage idol is that, you know, we see uh, we Christians see the kind of elevation of romance um, and are like, wow, that's that's really good. We want mm-hmm. that, too let's see, what, what can we, uh, we can say, uh, Isaac and Rebecca. Whoa. You know, we, you know, we can see, you know, Ruth and Boaz and like, we'll take this because we want, Mm. there's something that we find compelling Mm. outside, but, um, rather than kind of creatively reimagining and subverting and redeeming, we're just like, okay, uh, how can we take that and make sure that we're not sinning? So put it within (laughs) kind of a, you know, uh, some legal strictures and then, but, but we miss the, the kind of the deeper understanding why. Yeah. And so it's, it's a short-sightedness that I think um, then you know, plays itself out in yeah. idealizing sex and, and idolizing marriage. But
0: really what you're describing too is, and this is why I was cool with Breaking the Marriage Idol as the title of the book. I didn't come yeah. up with it, unfortunately. But you're describing basically our propensity to idolize things, that we make penultimate yeah. things right. ultimate, right? That, yeah. that this, we're, we're grappling for this thing that we confuse with ultimacy. Um, And in fact, uh, none of it (laughs) is ultimate, right? That it's always going to lead us impoverished and still Mm -hmm. wanting for more, even if we acquire it. Mm -hmm. Um, it, At at the fullest we could even imagine, it's still afterwards you're like, wait, why wasn't that fulfilling like I thought it was? Well, it's not ultimately fulfilling. Um, Okay, so we probably, (laughs) three of us could go on and on. Um, and, And I think though what, each of us share in common in this way is uh, the desire to move from what needs to be done. And that is to say, we need to get on the table what actually is what's wrong, right? We need to name reality for what it is. And there's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of problems. There's a lot of things that that have been handed to us, the three of us in our sort of demographic um, that we need to work through. and, And part of the process really is just, you know, saying, you know, admitting we have a problem. But then after that, I think all of us want to say, but but we want to do something constructive. We don't want to just, you know, wallow yeah, in we, despair. We can't just burn the house yeah. down. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. We need to build something different. Um, so as we think, remodel. yeah, yeah, little, yeah, some remodeling. Um, and and so that, I think, is our task. And what the challenge is, especially for people that are around our age, around that 40 barrier, ah, I'm very close, um, Is <laughs> is to say, interestingly right now, we've inherited a tradition that actually hasn't really provided us with the resources to do that. Mm-hmm. So I sometimes feel like I'm kind of making it up <laughs> and we are now we can draw back from much, you know, farther back um, for some adequate resources, but there is a sense in which we don't really have contemporary models for what it is we need to do. Um, so there's sort of this two part question I have for the two of you that I'm actually asking everybody uh, that, that I interview. Um, and it basically goes like this. What's, if we've talked about the narratives we've inherited and the scripts we've inherited, what's that story you want to tell, right? Mm-hmm. What's the story you want to leave with people? Mm-hmm. Um, and another way that you could maybe couch it is just, if you had one hope for <laughs> what people take away mm-hmm. um, from our conversation, from the resources we're putting together, mm-hmm. uh, what would that thing be? Um, and I'd imagine it would be some sort of uh, constructive uh, story, but, but how would you say that? What's the story you want to pass on?
1: think for me, the takeaway that I would want people to grasp from from your book, from the podcast, from the material is, um, I think, honoring every life stage, um, not elevating one over the other um, in terms of singleness or marriage. Um, And I would say really the biggest takeaway, if I could encapsulate sort of your book in one word, is that that sense of community and uh, building that up to be a place, uh, you know, finding small groups that are affirming of people and helping them thrive to live into the fullness of their being, um, no matter what stage they are. Um, you know, I've got a small group uh, where I'm at at Disney, and <clears throat> we have two divorcees. Um, we have one very young woman in her, in her 20s that is very far from marriage, um, and then a handful of us that are very close to that marrying age if a partner were to come along, and if that were to be. And um, just being able to bring that support for one another and to let us be who we are meant to be in God. in
2: mm-hmm. Christ. hundred percent co Um And I think, yeah, what I what I would want people to, to recognize is that, you know, the, the greatest thing we have uh, in our lives is that God loves us.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And, you know, the fact that in the midst of all of our, alienation, all of our problems, all of our sins, um, all of our failures, that the self-giving love of God is still ready and willing to meet us. I mean, that really reframes life in terms of, um, yeah, adding a new freedom, opening up uh, the possibilities for adventure, and I think um, deep relationships and community. And so... um, you know, throw off the throw <laughs> off the the boundaries of of restricting um, this kind of deep covenantal love to marriage. Because um, if we do that, uh, yeah, both married people and single people will suffer. You the music I think God has so much
1: All I got thanks once God. again to my
0: special guests, Joshua Beckett and Tamara Califf.
1: Oh, no
0: and as always, thanks to Day Salah Thompson for providing us with these sweet musical stylings.